I think I was in um, beginning high school when um, I started realizing that my, my, my prowess at the sports thing may not carry me as far as I'd hoped. And um, so I started getting into arts and uh, drama and uh, got into guitar and uh, started to get some traction with that, you know. The ladies liked that. So my, uh, my life began to kind of focus on kind of that stuff from the stage. And I started to have grand ambitions. And I thought, you know, I'd be really cool if this was before there were Instagram influencers, okay? But I thought if I could, you know, command the stage, people would know my name and, you know, Ben, Ben, uh, you know. Can you imagine just entering into a stadium and you're backstage and you're hearing Benji, Benji? Anyway, I mean, it, it was a pretty grand ambition. And um, I think over time I've realized maybe that wasn't uh, a very altruistic ambition. It seemed very self-serving. And over those years, God kind of, I think, has matured me a little bit beyond that. And, and, and eventually he kind of changed some of those ambitions that I had. And I realized, you know, maybe I could use some of those giftings for ministry, to help people. And, uh, and so he, he was able to kind of take my sort of selfish ambitions and turn them to something that could be useful. And I remember praying before I ever started full-time ministry, and I prayed, God, just make me useful for your kingdom. And uh, that was a big moment for me, going from selfish ambition to something where it could be kingdom-minded, something that could actually help people, because you, you, know, you want to make a difference. Maybe you've had some ambitions. Anybody in here have grand ambitions? Maybe your parents had grand ambitions for you. You're going to be famous in a small town. I don't know. What were those ambitions that you, that you had as a kid? Maybe it wasn't something from stage, but maybe it was some other ambitions. Maybe you wanted to, yeah, I don't know, be a doctor, be a lawyer, one of those big, big jobs, or maybe you wanted to tour the world. I mean, there's, there's, there's good ambitions to that, right? There's things that we desire. I mean, how many right now would say that you have some things you want to accomplish, you want to do, maybe bucket list stuff, some ambitions that you want to do before you die, some stuff that you haven't gotten to yet, okay, a few of us? Yeah, some things that we would like to see happen. And, and, and um, if you're a Christ follower, certainly there's part of that in our ambitions, that we, want to, we don't want everything just to be about us. Maybe we have some ambitions that we could yield to God's work. And maybe you want to travel, but maybe travel could actually be something where you're doing some humanitarian work, where they can go together. Our ambitions can, can go in that route. Well, today we are talking about some ambitions, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20. So if you have a, a Bible or a device, I encourage you to find Matthew chapter 20. We're going to be there. And hopefully we can get some wisdom from Jesus on healthy ambitions and what it means to be great in God's kingdom. And it's going to look a little different than what we might expect from Jesus. So we're going to be there. Matthew 20, find that. I'm Ben. Glad you're here uh, with us. Uh, welcome online. We see you. We gather like this, like Christ followers all over the globe, right? We're one big dysfunctional family of faith following Jesus. And uh, why do we meet on Sundays? Because that was the day Jesus rose from the dead and changed human history forever. And that's why many of us are in this room right now having this conversation. 
And, uh, and yeah, we're going to be talking about some ambitions. But before I do that real quick, uh, thank you for all of you that helped over July. Jackie and I had a great three, uh, time of, of camping. We did some camping in July. We were off in July. And uh, it was kind of cool to listen back to all the different preaching team folks that filled in for that whole month. We got to hear different perspectives. It was awesome to hear from everybody, uh, from, from Bob Sloan. He was, he was, I think, week one. And David Bessenbacher, these are guys part of our preaching team. Pretty awesome. And uh, Jeff spoke, one of our elders. He brought even some of you up to, to talk to, kind of share the, share the stage with him. That was pretty awesome. Andrew spoke. Uh, John, one of our other elders. Just great to hear back all their different perspectives. Wonderful, wonderful. So some shout-outs to those folks. And... Shout out to some of us that were part of the parade. That was pretty neat to be part of the parade. Some of you were, were in that. Thank you for that. I know that was a sacrifice of time, but unless, correct me if I'm wrong, I think we were, I think one of the only churches actually in the parade this year. And so, you know, when our, when our, when our community gets together, we want to get involved. We want to help. We want to be there. We want to be visible because we think Jesus is pretty awesome. And it's cool to be able to do that, even something like a parade. And then some of you were around last weekend, we, uh, we kind of opened the doors to the building, and we threw a big party for the neighborhood. And it was great to see different people come through, and um, we got to meet some people in the city, meet some people in the neighborhood, and uh, even the fire department came over. Did you hear about this? Anybody hear about this? Yeah. So shout out to our fire department for helping us uh, fill the dunk tank. You know, it's, it's funny, I'm gone for a month, and the first thing y'all want me to do is get in the dunk tank. I mean, <laughs> So I see how that respect goes, you see. And uh, I, I got a chance to, and, and, and the building's of different color. That's, a lot happens when uh, I step away. You guys have been busy. I, uh, I got a chance to meet with all of our Polk County commissioners this last week, have coffee with them, and I think every one of them mentioned, thank you for the building. They thought it looked really great, thought it looked, uh, you know, contemporary, and so lots of shout outs. And it's good to be back, though. Um, but let's, let's take a, a moment now and pray together and ask God to speak by the power of the Holy Spirit through the text today. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we all come before you here gathered as your people. And uh, we want to be part of your kingdom and your work in our city, in our world. And so, Father, do your mighty work. Speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And, Father, speak to us about healthy ambitions and what it means to be great in your kingdom as we lean into the Scriptures Today, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today I'm just talking about prediction, ambition, and blind sight. So if you have a Bible or device, I encourage you to have that open now. And if you can, would you stand with me as we read God's Word? This, this is pretty important stuff right here. I'm going to start with verse 17 of chapter 20 of Matthew. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, kneeling before him, and she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say to these two sons of mine, say, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your left and one at your right in your kingdom. 
And Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, we're able. And he said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And, and when the ten heard it, they were indignant with, at, at the two brothers. But Jesus called, them, called to them and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to serve, not to, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out to him, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they, they recovered their sight and followed him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We can sit down. Yeah. So a lot in this scripture bit here today. And as we've seen already in this series, this Matthew series, Matthew's very intentional about how he places these, these snapshots of Jesus' life and teachings. These are very intentional. And here we have three different bits here, and uh, they all kind of play a, a part. So they're on their way up to Jerusalem. Often scriptures talk about that, that you go up to Jerusalem. And some of you are like, that's kind of an odd way to put that. Well, Jerusalem was kind of actually up. It was actually up physically on, on, on a bit of a hill. And, uh, and so they, you'd have to go up to Jerusalem to get into the city. And especially as, as you get to Jericho, it's a straight up you know, uh, inc increase in, in elevation. So they've left Galilee, uh, and, and the disciples don't know this, but Jesus in chapter 19 has left Galilee for the last time. And now as he's facing Jerusalem, this will be his last time in the city. And they don't know that either. There's a lot they don't know. And so they're heading up to the city, which would be uh, quite the final journey for Jesus, and a journey that would forever be cemented into these 12's hearts and minds. What's going to happen in the next week, they will never forget. And they kept telling the story, and that's why we're in this room. Unbelievable. But they don't know all that yet. So they're making their way up to the city, and they're thinking we're going to have a party because it's, you know, it's Jewish, Jewish celebration days. We're going to have a good time. We're going to eat some good food. They had no idea. So we have, uh, we have three things going on. We have this prediction. Again, as Jesus is going up, he wants to give them a heads up about what's, what's in store. And then we have this mom's request. Quite an ambitious request by mommy. So we have that going on in the midst of all this. That's interesting. And then we, we end the passage with a couple of blind men that won't keep quiet. And Jesus has compassion on them. So let's talk about that first one, the prediction. Now this isn't the first time Jesus predicts that he's going to be hurt. He's go There's something coming. This is about the third time now that he's going to warn them. But this time... He gives some pretty vivid detail. Did, did you catch that? He, he, he gets specific 
on the where and when and the actual uh, sequence of events. And, and again, this is, this is one of those moments where I would imagine them hearing him say this, they would be so confused because this is not the Messiah that the Jewish people had hoped for. Once again, Jesus is taking the expectations that people had for Messiah and he's blowing them up. He keeps talking about the last will be first and the first will be last. Stop talking about that kind of stuff, Jesus. No, we're going to be first. This is what they want. They, we, don't want we don't want a suffering Messiah. We want a conquering Messiah. And yet Jesus is, is kind of messing with their expectations over and over again. And this time he gets some real detailed information. First of all, where are these events going to take place? We know it's Jerusalem, the place they're headed to. So he tells them where. And then he said, There's going to be, I'm going to be turned over to the Jewish leadership. That happens. And then he's going to be handed off to the Gentiles. When you hear that, hear Romans, any non-Jewish folks. And who's in charge there? It's going to be the Romans. So he gives them the detail of the Romans are going to, are going to mishandle me, basically. They're, they're going to, and he, he does it in order. Did you catch that? They're going to be mocked. Do you remember when that happened? Some of you know the story. Jesus is indeed mocked. They, they, they kind of gather around him and they're poking fun at him. They put a little crown on his head. They're making fun of him. And so in the exact order that it happens, he's going to be mocked. And then what's the next thing that's going to happen? He's going to be flogged. And they would have known exactly what that was like. They saw Roman soldiers do this all the time. They lead tip on these things. I mean, it, it hurt. And so the second thing happens exact order. And what's the, the last thing to happen to Jesus? He's crucified in the exact order and the exact method that it's going to happen. I don't know what these 12 were thinking, but they're like, this is weird talk. And this is the third time, but this time he's getting real specific. So I'm guessing about a week after the whole crucifixion and resurrection thing, they're starting to go, oh, he did tell us this. And I would imagine that Matthew, as he's recording this again, in vivid detail, he's like, yeah, he said it exactly like that. He's mocked, and he's flogged. In fact, there's a Roman historian that talks about crucifixion, Cicero, and he said that crucifixion, this is a Roman historian, this is one of them. He said, you know, it's a disgusting and cruel penalty. That's what the Romans said themselves. And then he will be raised on the third day. All this predicted. And, and yet, yeah, within a week, all this happens, right? And they still don't quite get it. They're still struggling to get that. So then we get to, let's, let's talk about this one. Then we got mommy. Mommy and two sons. And um, she makes a request that's pretty bold. I mean, don't you, th don't you think that? I know it, we read that by in English, and maybe you've read this story before, but James and John's mommy steps up to bat for him. You know, you ever done that for your kids or grandkids? You step up to the plate for them, you know? You got to help them out a little bit. She's trying to help them out a little bit. What does she, what does she request? It doesn't seem like that big of a deal. What does she request? Some positions. So for James and John, my two sons here, remember them? They were some of the early disciples. I think James and John were like three and four, aren't they? Like, Early on, right? They were the first early adopters, right? And she asked Jesus, kneeling, so she shows respect, but clearly she has enough familiarity with the group that she 
has some boldness. And she says, hey, when this kingdom comes, hey, could, we, could I have you put my sons in, kind of in charge? You know, make them thing one and thing two. These are the important. They're going to have the t-shirts and everything. They're going to be your right hand and left hand person. I, I think it's kind of audacious that she's asking that. Big, big, and, and by the way, the other ten are not loving this. The other ten are getting angry. Uh, Mom is right there. And uh, it's interesting that Jesus asked her that question that he will later ask those blind men, right? What do you want? I think sometimes Jesus would ask that question of us. What do you want? And when you ask, did you really want that? So she asked this, this request, and, and is this selfish? I don't, I don't know that we'll ever totally know. But we have this sort of awkward scenario where she's asking for the two top positions in the kingdom. And, uh, and so then you get this, this moment where Jesus is kind of looking at them. Because the question that he asked, and it isn't of mom anymore, it's, it's about a cup. Now Jesus will pray about a cup within a week, here or less than a week. He's going to pray to ask God the Father to remove a cup from him. And what was that cup? Crucifixion, suffering. It was a cup of suffering. And so he looks at James and John and says, okay, let's, let's play this out. Are you willing to drink the cup which I'm going to drink? And I'm guessing they kind of look at each other and like, sure. No clue what they're asking. And Jesus knows that. I mean, is Jesus kind of like snickering right now? but also kind of, you know, sad about it too. You, you, you don't know what cup you're talking about, James and John. Can we do it? Sure, we can drink that. We can do that. And, uh, and he knows that they don't have a clue. Now, what I love about Jesus here, one of many things, okay, he doesn't grant their request. He says, well, it's not mine to give, it's the Father, right? Um, but you will indeed drink of this cup. And uh, so he doesn't pull punches. He doesn't lie to them. Of course, we wouldn't expect him to. But also, he doesn't shame them for the request. You know, sometimes we ask dumb things from God. Who's asked a dumb thing from God before? Yeah. They don't know what they're asking. Sometimes we don't have a clue what we're asking. If God gave us exactly what we were asking, we'd be in a world of hurt. Because we don't see the whole picture, do we? So he doesn't shame them in this moment. He's like, James and John, shame on you. You shouldn't have. Salome, I think her name is Salome, or the, the mom. Is that Salome? Anybody know Bible nerds? I think it's Salome. Anyway, he doesn't shame them. I love that about Jesus. That's the heart of the Father. He didn't shame them. But he's like, hey, this is not a request that I can grant you. Plus you, you are you ready? You're going to drink this cup. And now we know from history that they both did suffer. James and John did suffer in different ways. We think John was, was, was killed pretty early on in the early church. We think that happened. But also, John suffered as well. If it's the same John, and we think it is, that ended up writing uh, the Revelation, the last book of the New Testament, he was in exile for a lot of his life. He suffered. Far from his family, couldn't, you know, couldn't connect. So they suffered, and they did drink in, indeed from that cup. But I'm so thankful that God doesn't always give us what we ask for. Cue up a country song right now by Garth Brooks called Unanswered Prayers. Anybody have a witness? Come on. Aren't you glad there have been moments in your life where, where God did not answer 
your request. When he said no, anybody thankful for a no? Yeah. He didn't shame him for the goofy request. Now, the 10, they want to like open up a can of hurt on these two and they're indignant. That's a nice way of saying they're mad. They're, they're, they're boiling over the, the audacity that these two think they're all that and they're going to be... <laughs> but I wonder, did mom cross a boundary? Got really quiet in here. Have there been moments where sometimes people push their kids too far? I don't know if this is going on but I wonder if sometimes parents, grandparents, we put so much on our kiddos that we almost create stress on them. It's like we want to live vicariously through them. If you've ever been to Little League ball fields, and I have, I feel like sometimes mom and dad need to take it down a notch. The odd, well, anyway, I won't go into it, but the odds are not good for your little one to make it to the major leagues. It's just a hard path to follow. Even playing in college, okay, I'll get off that for a second, but do we sometimes push our kids too far? Do we impose our stressful schedules on them? Well, you gotta have this experience, you gotta have this experience. Do you see what I'm saying here? And I don't know that that's what's going on here, but I, this made me wanna ask the question, are we sometimes too pushy? Are we taking our ambitions and, you know, kind of superimposing them on our children? Sometimes I think kids just need to be kids, right? We don't need to have them in a hundred different things. Choose one a year, right? All right, I'm getting off of that. But I wonder about our ambitions, right? Because sometimes we can press our ambitions, even if they're good ambitions, on our kids. And I don't think, I don't think that's a good thing, but... Jesus uses this moment while the James and John are still kind of reveling in their request and wondering, and then you have the ten that are angry and want to hurt them. Jesus takes that moment and he's like, okay, let's pause, guys. Pause the, pause the tape here for a second. Hey, look, if you want to be great, if you want to have position, you're going to have to serve. And so Jesus in this moment to kind of take the temperature down in the room he starts connecting greatness with service. So if you want to be great, you're going to serve. And, and if you want to lead, you're going to have to sacrifice. He takes, takes all this moment that seems a little tense, and he teaches them that in the kingdom, it's upside down with the way the world works. And so if you want to be great, get ready to get your hands dirty. Get ready to work. And, and uh, Jesus models it. He's not just saying it and then like, you do that, yo. Uh, he's living it. In fact, he's going to say that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and become a ransom for many. That's the wording of someone buying freedom for a slave. Son of man is going to do that. So don't think you're all that, James and John, and the rest of you. Because if you want to be great, you got to serve. He connects greatness with serving and leading with sacrifice. I think we would do well to hear that. Before we let our ambitions run rampant. This cup of suffering 
Many of those early followers had to literally drink from that cup of suffering. And James and John would drink from that cup of suffering. So then we get to this last story about some blind men. And it's interesting that Matthew kind of ties all these together because I think there's a, there's a sense of humility and servanthood running through all three of these bits. And so who's more humble than a couple of people that can't see? They can't, they can't fend for themselves. They can't protect themselves. They can't make a living. They've got to rely on everybody because they can't see. Talk about humility. Well, they hear that this Jesus of Nazareth, who they've heard of, there's buzz out there, They've heard about this guy, and they hear he's coming, and he's going to walk right by them. And so they took matters into their own hands, and they start shouting. They start shouting. And the crowd's like, shut up. You know, y'all need to calm down. You're being way too loud. Calm it down, right? And, but it, they don't, that doesn't stop them. They keep going. They start shouting. And did you catch what they're shouting? They weren't ignorant. These were pretty smart blind men. They not only knew Jesus was something amazing, they call him Lord. We haven't even heard the disciples use that term too often. They're calling him Lord. That meant something. Lord, you're, you're, you're under that. You're, this, is, this is a position of, of, of importance. And they call him Son of David. Now, any religious person, especially the Jewish leadership that heard that phrase, that is messianic talk. That's Messiah talk. So anybody using that would trigger some ears. Messiah talk. I mean, he's talking about son of David. That's royal lineage. And that's what they're saying. These guys knew something. They weren't ignorant. They knew. And, and they, they start getting louder and louder, regardless of what the crowd says. And then finally, they catch Jesus' attention, enough to stop him in his tracks and... Uh, and Jesus asks them that question. That seems pretty obvious to me. What does Jesus ask them? What do you want? Answer? Obviously, we want to see. Same, same sort of question that he asked ambitious mommy a little while ago. What do you want? How, how honest are you with what you want? What are you asking God for? Maybe God will speak to that. What, what are your ambitions? What do you want? Do you really want to be healed? Look, these blind guys, they didn't have to go to work. I mean, the responsibilities are pretty low. If, if, if Jesus heals them and they can see, what does that mean? Well, now I got to, instead of waiting for someone else to support me now, I got to go to work. I got to take care. I got to respond. I got to deal with family. I got to put in my 40. And so, what do you want? Seems like an obvious question, but Jesus wants them to say it. We want, we want our eyes open. And I love what Jesus does here. He could have just said the word. He could have snapped his fingers. I don't know. This is going to sound weird. He could have picked up a stick and went, voila. He could have done that. <laughs> how, how, I know, it's silly. Just came into my head. But, he, but he, how, does he, how does he do the healing? For any Jewish rabbi, you don't touch someone who's unclean. Over and over again, Jesus touches the unclean. But the thing is, the, 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 their, their uncleanliness doesn't transfer to him. 
which normally would be, be the situation. His cleanliness transfers to them. And they are made clean and they can see. And instead of walking away thinking, that's awesome, we got what we want, see you later, what do they start doing? Cue up language in your head, they become his disciples. That's how, that's how that rolls. See, that, in fact, I, I was doing some, some research on this, and, and there was one commentator that, that actually mentioned something that I thought was interesting. I, I want to read it for you. They said this, uh, there, there were no healings of the blind in the Old Testament. The Jews believed that such a miracle would be a sign that the Messianic age has begun. That when sight is restored, then the Messianic age has begun. You see, Jesus was in a way, indirectly saying, Messiah is here. They even called him the son of David. Lord. Ugh. What do you want? What do you want from, from Jesus today? If you're just honest with him, what do you want? What do you want him to do for you? What ambition do you have in your life? And the question is, if you, if you want to be all that, you want the position, you want the influence, why? And in, is that selfish ambition? Jesus would say over and over again, and we're going to hear him say this again, the first will be last, and the last will be first. It's an upside-down kingdom. If you want to be great, what do you need to do? Serve. If you want to be, if you want to be the leader, you may need to sacrifice. This is the upside-down ways of the kingdom. Are you willing to accept that? It's tough in our culture. We want to be first. We want to be the influencer. I want everybody to know our name. Let's gut check our ambitions. Put them before the Lord this week. What do you really want? Put them before the Lord. See what he does. I love how in this, Jesus never shamed James and John. And sometimes he doesn't give us what you ask for. But let's take our ambitions this week and put them before the Lord. Say, is this what you're asking us to do? Is this what, is this what you want? All of these stories have this, 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 this theme of humility, being real with what you want, understanding that if you want to be great, you've got to serve, and then Jesus will demonstrate that in a powerful way. If you want to be last, you will be first. And I wonder if these stories begin to confront us on our own selfish ambition. Do they confront you on things that maybe you desire just for yourself? It's not always bad to, to need things or desire things. Those can be good, but when do those go sideways? When do those cross a boundary where it becomes selfish ambition? Do you find yourself struggling with wanting to serve someone who can't help you back? These are the questions of the kingdom. Where are you at? Who will you, who will you serve this week? You know, we, we hear these words from Jesus and we want to put them into practice, right? Even what we've talked about today. So is there an area of your life that you submit to, to the Lord on? Your ambitions, your desires, your bucket list, put them before the Lord. And is there somebody you can serve this week? Someone you can actually serve this week? Because Jesus is, is connecting, you know, in, in the world of ambition, he's connecting Greatness with servanthood. If 
you want to be great, you need to serve. Who can you serve this week? I like what Philippians 2.3 says. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should, in humility, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. So here's our big moment where we can commit to doing something about this this week. And there's some little notepads around if that helps you remember. Put them on your car, put them on your bathroom, whatever that might be. But what are you going to commit to? And maybe that might be you're going to commit to praying this week and yielding your ambitions and your desires. You're going to put them before the Lord. Maybe that's your action statement, action moment this week. Maybe you're going to commit to serving somebody. And that's my only point today. And I want you to fill in the blank. I will humbly serve this week. Someone in your community, someone in your neighborhood, a family member that needs help. I'm going to commit to humbly serving, and you fill in that blank. Again, if it helps you, write it down on that notepad. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I've commanded. Let's stop reading these scriptures and not doing anything about it. What would you have me do, Lord? That's the, that's the prayer. Who will you humbly serve? Who will you pray for? Maybe there's someone in your life that needs to hear what we just talked about. That could be your, your moment. Pray about this. Imagine a bunch of people like us putting other people's needs first consistently. What sort of witness would that be for our community, for our families, for our neighborhood? Let's yield all of our ambitions to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We're thankful that you love us so much more than we could possibly imagine. And so, Lord, we we lay our ambitions, our desires, our requests to you. We put them at your feet that you would do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine according to your power. And that, Father, we would be a blessing. We would put into action what you've told us about humility, about ambition, about servanthood. Father, may we be that kind of people this week. In Jesus' name, amen.